all I really want to be part of is helping other people see where they fit in this and helping them to identify something that means something to them. It could be any of the things we talk about. It could be climate on on a specific realm. It could be biodiversity through a specific realm. It could be women's rights. It could be advocating for Indigenous or Black representation. It could be any of those things, but it's almost like, let me try and help you see how you form a way of being in this conversation. Welcome to Conscious Chatter, where what we wear matters. I'm Kestrel Jenkins, your host and the head of curiosity here on the show. Join us as we unlearn, relearn, and repeat on the weekly. Hello, my friends. If you're tuning in today for this special edition Oscar Sunday show, happy weekend. I hope you're enjoying a restful and restorative one. And if you're tuning in after, I'm wishing you a beautiful day. This week's guest is coming back to the show for the third time, number three. She is the first guest ever to share three separate episodes with me. Clearly, I'm a fan and I love reconnecting with them to share about the evolutions and expansions in their work. Let's get to the show. Have you ever heard of the term generative conversation? It's a newer concept for myself, and it's one that this week's guest reminds us of. On a basic level, generative conversations are conversations that involve genuine inquiry and sharing. They're conversations in which we engage in deep listening. They're conversations in which we feel truly heard and nourished. They involve a space where respect and trust are cultivated. And through generative conversations, they allow the possibility of expanded understandings and the discoveries of shared meaning. In order to truly, quote unquote, move the needle in the sustainability and fashion space, these types of conversations are mandatory. As this week's guest reminds us, when we talk about sustainability, we have to lead with questions, not our individual agenda. Questions welcome an openness to learning and sharing, and they help avoid the critical tone that can easily sneak its way into these discussions. Because remember, how we have the conversation influences where the conversation goes. Thoughtful communication is so key for this week's guest. As the CEO of a global change-making organization, she is navigating storytelling, 
with notable talent across a massive platform, the red carpet at the Oscars. This year, she wrote the first ever Oscars sustainable dress code that went out to every single guest of this year's event. Imagine condensing the many layers of sustainability in fashion into one document. She shares how she did it. I love how she welcomes a constant expansion in the sustainability narrative and never loses sight of a key ingredient, hope. Let's get into it. Samata Pattinson is the CEO of RCGD Global, a women-led global change-making organization bringing environmental and social sustainability to the forefront of conversation and action within the global apparel and design industry. Samata, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love your I love your show and I love talking to you. Thank you, Samata. I love your work. I love talking to you. It's so amazing to have you back on the show. I was looking back and the last episode that we did was actually in 2020. So obviously there was a lot going on in 2020. And here we are three years later and I feel like so much has happened. Like on the last show, we talked so much about how our perspectives on sustainability have shifted and deepened since becoming new moms and like literally yeah. straight up to starting this conversation we cannot stop talking about like mom life yeah absolutely <laughs> and then also on that last show you talked a lot about like the intentionality that goes into selecting talent for RCGD Global and like the power that comes with having access to a mainstream audience Mm. through your partnership with the Oscars. So I guess I want to get into all the really exciting things you have going on this year. But first, can you just take us back, share like a little glimpse at some of your highlights and potentially challenges over the last few years? Mm, and you're right I mean so much has changed since we spoke last I can't believe it was that long ago mm-hmm. and even just relocating I think when we were speaking I was between London and LA and now I'm kind of based here um, and yeah. closer to our headquarters we're just up the coast now <laughs> exactly we're just a stone throw away from each other so even that transition of leaving my home you know the UK's words born and raised in Cambridge and coming over here to try and be part of conversations at I would say more of a decision making level you know opportunities I definitely didn't have in the UK so that perspective changed things and then just coming over to the states during a time of great political change and increased visibility about sustainability in that discourse so so much has happened and changed since then and for me just reconnecting with you after this while my journey and and my understanding of sustainability has changed so much it changes year on year Mm. I wonder if it's the same for you with just all the conversations you have with people and oh absolutely (laughs) without a doubt like I always say props to all of my guests Mm. who have like helped to continue to like expand my view on what sustainability means yeah, exactly. So I'm glad and, I, and I'm and i glad that that's what we face. We should always be learning. So for me, I probably look at it from some of the, the things that I've challenged with and, and tried to just, I guess, improve on have been a kind of my connection between what I want to champion, because 
like when we started speaking a few years ago, I was really, I think I was very passionate about, we just started working with Tencel. I was really deep diving on material um, health, material innovation, work like around that space and trying to make sure that design for sustainability focused on those kind of themes, circularity, decarbonization, things like that. But now I'm, I'm looking at it, not just from that perspective, but geographically and and that's a natural progression like I'm a British born Ghanaian so that that desire to understand how what we're designing impacts further across the globe matters to me Mm -hmm. but just connecting with organizations from Ghana to Bangladesh from speaking to friends that I have known for years at Greenpeace trying to deepen my understanding of environmental sustainability and who's being impacted And then just figuring out, well, which thing is setting fire to me? Because when you work in this space, you hear about so many different issues from so many different organizations and from so many different people. And almost, I don't know how to say it, but picking your cause, you know, and Mm. picking the thing you most want to get behind is hard because you can't almost be a jack of all trades. And I know that the saying is like jack of all trades, master of none. And I think it goes on to say something along the lines of, but trying to do something is is better than doing none. But these few years, I've just been like, well, what's the thing that I want to get behind? What's the campaign? And then that's on the environmental and like social side. And then trying to be part of making sure that the spotlight is cultural. And, and I see that happening, but I, I still feel that we're missing so many communities and so many conversations culturally. We aren't representing them properly either. So that's that's something I've just been trying to, I guess, hone and refine so that I can contribute in a way where I'm not repeating other people's work, where I'm pioneering my own work and where I'm putting something useful into the space that other people can take and gain something from. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I definitely can see it through your work. I see that sort of global and cultural connection really being woven into the way that you communicate and the things you talk about. And I think it's so key to hear that from different angles because, you know, we are maybe starting to hear it a little bit more. I mean, (laughs) not enough in any way, shape or form, especially considering the origins of the sustainability conversation and just being so whitewashed, being so like binary, being so like, this is right and this is wrong. And, and I think Having multiple viewpoints and multiple perspectives talking about the expansiveness of sustainability is so key. And and I think that's something you do really incredibly through your work is to like try to reach as many people as possible by having the conversation like really vast and expansive. It's not like, oh, you have Mm. to do this to be in this club. (laughs) It's like, hey, everyone, find your touch point and like let's all come together and work yeah. on this. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think what you've talked about around this kind of accessibility thing, I feel like I've talked to you about this before as well. I, as someone who can find the fashion industry to be quite cliquey and these kind of sects of inaccessibility, gatekeeping and meanness, to be honest, mm-hmm. I feel that that's something that I feel quite strongly about and there's two ways I react to that and it influences how I work either I completely go insular and just isolate myself and that would reflect in only working with people that we know and trust and have known for years or only 
exposing ourselves to those already in our family circle. That's one approach. Or there's an approach of, I don't want anyone else to feel that way, or I don't want anyone to feel that they're not welcome in this space. I feel that you can react to that experience in two different ways. Mm. And that reaction is what influences how I try and what I try and work on. Like I'm trying to work on things like we have a report coming out called Demystifying Sustainability Through Culture and Generative Language. And it's all, I mean, it's predominantly all about how we can develop more progressive conversations about sustainability when we look at this broad spectrum of where people come from, who they are culturally, what their socioeconomics is, you know, their geographics, where they grew up, who they grew up around, like how all those things affect somebody and how they respond and how they can be brought into the conversation. So what you've said is is the biggest compliment to me because all I really want to be part of is helping other people see where they fit in this and helping them to identify something that means something to them. It could be any of the things we talk about. It could be climate on on a specific realm. It could be biodiversity through a specific realm. It could be women's rights. It could be advocating for Indigenous or Black representation. It could be any of those things, but it's almost like, let me try and help you see how you form a way of being in this conversation. And that's not just business to citizen, it's business to business, it's citizen to business. Like These are conversations multi-directional. What we try and do is not just for citizens, we try and engage business, we try and engage society, because if you can engage individuals on a level where they feel connected to the subject, those individuals go into work, they go into businesses, and they create a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Those individuals lead businesses and embed sustainability into what they're doing. There's no separation between citizen and business to me. It's one in the same. You switch the mindset of a citizen, you make them feel part of the dialogue. That citizen is part of Congress. That citizen is a politician. That citizen is a policymaker. You know, that influences the things that they consider in their job. So that's why I think if we can just somehow figure out this accessibility thing and somehow figure out how we're talking about it and somehow figure out how we bring people in, I I genuinely do feel that that's where I feel the best. (laughs) That's where I feel Mm -hmm. the most useful in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes me think directly about one of the big exciting things this year that you have going on with the Oscars Sustainable Dress Code, Mm. which you're the author of, and Mm. which is something that's going out to all attendees of Mm. the Oscars, which I'm like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) And so, yeah, I've I've read like the synopsis of it, the brief one pager that's going out to all the folks that are going to be attending. I guess like this is one of those things where when you have to kind of take the idea of sustainability and mm. I guess like hone it in, in a sense, you have to like simplify it somehow and, you know, streamline it a bit so you can tell a story that yeah. I feel like can be so, so tricky. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious, like, <laughs> <laughs> if you can share like some of the primary tenants that you've included in the sustainable dress code, and I guess what led you to want to focus on these? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. I mean, it's a pinch me moment for me because I, my first red carpet was in 2010, I think it was, or 2011. And I was so excited to be there as a former designer that 
focused on women's wear and who focused on red carpet fashion like that was my whole pocket so being able to be in a space where that form of design was celebrated and so highly anticipated meant a lot to me as a a creative and so fast forward to be a sustainability partner for them and what you said is really important like this this is a mainstream platform in the sense that it isn't a platform specifically for sustainable fashion or sustainable design and so we have the opportunity to take those conversations and it reaches people in in nearly 100 countries like it's an insane platform for us so yeah when we got the opportunity to kind of collaborate and and focus on writing a guide that would go out to all of the attendees and academy members we just realized that we had a really big opportunity to show that creativity design and sustainability can be something that anybody can start to journey into and to start to be involved in it's literally not too late and we wanted to do it in a way that would make the readers feel not attacked and not judged um position the fact that we have an issue here we have an issue with the way that fashion is being made you know it's affecting waste pollution climate there's injustice here but there are ways you can participate in combating and at least calling out these issues with the big voices and the big platforms you have at the end of the day, you have really huge talent that has huge influence and that can use that platform to start other conversations. It's why Susie founded the campaign. She was going with Avatar. She wanted to start different types of conversations. So we tried to focus on the areas that we know there's been an interest in. So if you separate the design and that literal creation of something, and then you look at framework around that design, those were the first two lenses we used. So if we were looking at specifically design, some of the things we are often asked about by attendees and designers and stylists is specifically, interestingly, textiles, dyes, Those two things have come up a lot and also what certifications to look for when sourcing. So with that, we tried to focus on, we didn't actually choose a camp (laughs) with the textiles. We didn't, we actually just instead went with like our top line advice so that for somebody who isn't, let's say an animal rights activist or someone who doesn't only wear plant-based materials, there is something for them. But we wanted to highlight that there is a growing area where if you if that is your thing, if you're passionate about plant-based or if you're passionate about vegan fashion, there are solutions out there for you. But I think we were strategic in not choosing or I guess condemning a specific like certified or ethical silk. We've actually used those materials before to start conversations about the way things are made and the way they can be made more ethically or made in a way that's more transparent. So we wanted to make sure that there was kind of inclusion of that. And another thing that's come out a lot is the colors and the dyes. You look at these amazing dresses and they run the rainbow hues, right? So we wanted to talk about the way that that coloring process can be more sustainable, like the low impact dyes, the um, certified dyes, the biosynthetic ones, the, the fact that there are ways to do that and have that visual wow moment in a way that reduces harmful impact. So we tried we tried to focus on the things that we know have come up a lot. And then even with the specific design, we talked about one of the most popular conversations right now, which is obviously vintage rewearing, but focusing on secondhand vintage rewearing, but focusing on 
the mindset of slowing down consumption, introducing the idea that vintage, rewearing vintage is not just about celebrating what was beautiful before. It's also about having a conversation about slowing down consumption. And if you can do that on the red carpet where people are always expecting you to have something different and new, mm-hmm. that is a bold statement to make because people do want you to look different. They do want to know what you're wearing. But if you can have pride in something that you style in a different way or reinvent, great. And we even talked about introducing creativity yourself, like challenge yourself to get DIY creative. Like, why not? Why can't you also customize? Why can't you try and do a bit of DIY? Why can't you challenge yourself that way? Mm-hmm. So that we, it was hard, Kestrel, because <laughs> there's so much you can say, and it's almost impossible to be really, to be so succinct with such a big subject. But I feel that we touched on so many things. Like anything you might mention, like DIY representation, and that was more in the social. That was more in the framework where we talk about diversity, representation, inclusion, supporting brands that are owned by Black, Hispanic, Indigenous people of color, AAPI. You know, we talked about that, and not just choosing ambassadors from those communities, but supporting brands and businesses who design from those communities. And that's quite a hard thing to say to people because a lot of the time talent relies or goes to the same brands, you know? So saying, can you go and look for an indigenous couture brand? (laughs) You know, would you consider wearing a Nigerian couture brand? Like that's, that is progressively challenging people that are comfortable. And then we talked about, you know, labor rights. We talk about framework like that. We talk about what you can do after the red carpet, how you can give your item a second life, transform it, dye it another color, sell it. So as somebody who's been in the space for a while, when I think about the conversations I'm always privy to, I feel like we didn't really miss anything. And we even touch on fashion and tech and traceability, transparent technology that some brands have. So these are conversations they can have with their designers and stylists and say, like, can we introduce that? Is there a way for me to see where all of these different elements came from? So, yeah, it was hard, but it's one page and it links off to our full guide on the website, which is there for free, which is 23 pages. So between the summary version and this more extensive version on our website, and then knowing that they can reach out to us for any questions, I feel that we've got some good ground covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And just like casting like a wide enough net so someone can find like the touch point that resonates with them. And again, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, just like your approach, I feel like is very much like here's all these different potential ways that you could already be doing something that's quote unquote sustainable or that's already kind of on the path or it could be something that you're already interested in. And then you can kind of further continue asking questions and that kind of thing. It reminds me of something you said in another conversation we had once where you were talking about how like with sustainability, we really need to like ask questions of people yeah. in our approach yeah. instead of just like unloading our agenda. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I mean, thanks for bringing that up because that's actually my my thing because it's a conversation. Sustainable, if you ask anybody to define sustainability, they'll give you various different things. To me, it's a series of questions and answers. Like it, it is always a series of questions and answers because any definition someone gives you, there's a question you can ask that will give you more context. They need to answer it. And then there's another question that gives you further context or there's a question you have that challenges that. So they have to answer that and defend their point. So it's a series of questions and answers. And even this report that I'm really excited about, a lot of what we did is we did a lot of research about 
I mean, honestly, we started with like, what are the challenges here to having kind of generative conversation about it? And some of the themes that came up were things like disingenuous and lazy efforts to connect with varied cultural groups. So this kind of idea of a one size fits all call out, like everybody come to this messaging, even though the way we phrased it, the language we've used doesn't really speak to you. It talked about like unclear definitions Mm. and almost an inadequate use of language, which results in people feeling excluded or disengaged really early. Mm. We found um, in our research, like the missed sustainability pathway when you don't engage on personal experience or use emotional connection. So there were all of these things um, that kept coming up and even just discussions behind closed doors, which exclude like cultural voices that have expertise. So they're just, and even just token examples of sustainability. So this idea of conversation, it's like, you have to have questions and answers. You have to engage and understand like why someone's coming from it, where they're coming from, what they understand, what they don't understand before you can tell them something. And actually sometimes in those conversations, you end up like being mute because you're like, actually, you know, your perspective or what your experience is, is useful for me for something else or useful Mm -hmm. for me. And I wasn't, I wasn't coming into this conversation with the expectation that you would teach me like it's that thing we did when we worked with Vivian Westwood and Michael Badger where she said may she rest in peace she said what's amazing is I feel that I've learned from Michael Badger in the way that I hope he's learned from me and I thought if someone who's that established and is such a heavyweight and has been in this industry for so long and and is a sponge can make that statement, then we have to be able to make that statement when we go into schools and work with young people or when we go across cultural boundaries instead of this like savior thing. Um, mm. We're coming with the good news. We're coming to save you. Like take take our, our holy book in a way. If we can do that differently, then we might be getting people on a different kind of foot, a different kind of tone. And, and, and that's something I believe. But I'm not in any way excusing people who genuinely aren't interested in the dialogue. I'm merely saying that how we have the conversation influences where the conversation goes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The way that we tell the story, the way that we begin the conversation is so key. And I think this is something that I I feel like it's come up on on recent shows as well. Just Mm -hmm. like the idea that we have so often this obsession with like finding the right answer Mm-hmm. like the right solution like what is the right narrative that's going to reach people it's like <laughs> one narrative is not going to reach everybody yeah yeah you know? like yeah we all have different interests we all have different perspectives we all come to this world through a different lens and so we need to have many 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 different approaches and stop saying like this approach is wrong and this approach is wrong I guess there there could be approaches that don't work. I mean, myself, when I first learned about this industry, I was so pissed that yeah. I remember I would I was like very young, <laughs> naive, and I would talk to people and I would just be like outraged. And I'm like, aren't you pissed about this too? And they're mm. like, um, no, like you're bringing down the vibe. Like, can you get yeah. out of here? <laughs> and very, very quickly, I realized that was not a good approach. But I remember doing that because of frustration mm. and that was a bad approach. But otherwise, like we need so many different approaches welcomed to to navigate this and to stop looking for like this one like golden ticket answer. That's so good. That's so good. The one golden ticket. Yeah. Like Willy Wonka. 
exactly. It's like, we've got it. It's going to be okay. We've saved the world. Exactly. Um, that's so, like, there's like literally people be like, I don't see the color gold. That's not gold to me. Like, you know, all of the, then there's the stuff that comes. It just says, no, that's not the one answer. No, like that's, that's it. And I think what I enjoyed with some of the research that we did was, and, and actually what predominantly came up is the reason we have these issues is because we focus the conversation in the same kind of geographical locations <laughs> and the same kind of demographic of people. So of course we're going to kind of keep regurgitating homogenous repetitive crap, right? And that's not being disrespectful, mm-hmm. but it is. So, and it's not crap, but it is repetitive and therefore it's it's kind of... It's short-sighted. It's, it's short-sighted. It's not useful. And so then it's kind of, okay, what the opportunity now is, is for interesting things to take place. Because I think what we don't talk about enough, which we should talk about, is what happens when you go outside of what you typically keep repeating, when you elevate voices that are vulnerable, discriminated against, marginalized, different socioeconomic groups, speak different languages, like let's even go there. When I talk to my parents and they tell me stories in various languages, because they both speak multiple dialects, Ghanaian dialects, And they try and tell me kind of some jokes and they'll say, oh, if it's a specific one of the languages they speak that I don't understand, they'll say, oh, this, the meaning is lost on you because you don't speak the language. So when they try and translate it, even though it's funny, they're like, yeah, but it's funnier in the language, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, good for you guys. Glad you were having a jolly. But the point (laughs) that they're trying to make is sometimes we aren't going to fully get things because we don't speak the language, but that doesn't mean the conversation shouldn't be being taken place. Mm. And it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be given the mainstream spaces. Sometimes we're going to have to be getting translations as long as the people who speak the languages to each other can actually be empowered and get what they get done. And we're not gatekeeping them, blocking them. We're amplifying them and directing resources. Sometimes we don't actually have to fully understand what they're saying to each other. And we don't have to take what they're saying to each other and just say, I think this is what it means. We're going to speak for them. And that's, you know, that's what I loved about that thing my mom said about and my dad said about the jokes and how, oh, it's just lost on you. And and then with this research that we were doing, so what I was trying to say outside of that is there's an opportunity for really interesting things to take place if you're fortunate enough to speak the language and share a language. Because language is a barrier and opportunity, right? That's how That's how I see it even us being able to speak kind of coherent English to each other, people who don't have English as a first language will miss some of what we're saying, but they might get the gist of it. Mm -hmm. But even being privy to that means you have an opportunity for interesting things you didn't know existed. And I feel like, why don't we talk about that enough? We, We do say we want representation. We want these varied voices, but we don't talk about how much more interesting the conversation is, how much more enlightening the conversation is. The same way we will say, oh, you know, we have indigenous communities protecting 80% of our biodiversity. But what we don't say is like, but they protect it better. Like, mm-hmm. and st- like comparatively, like 30 to 40 to 50% better growth biodiversity of, mm-hmm. of fauna and flora. So it's not just saying like this should exist. It's saying it's more interesting. It's <laughs> more expertise. It's more engaging. Why aren't it's we more, doing more of it? <laughs> it's more connected. I yeah. mean, I don't know, but for me in the conversations I have, as my narrative has continued to expand through different guests I've had on, when conversations are more like cultural or about indigenous knowledge or about like ideas that come from a black community that are, are about yeah. sustainability, like these are 
are so grounding. Like when I have these conversations, it's so different than mm. other narratives. Mm. It feels like there's like a tether to the earth. Like oh, it's like your feet are so in the good. ground and it's yeah. it's just, it's more connected. It's, that sounds so cliche, but it mm. is. And, and I think to be honest, the majority of us today feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. Basically, just I think that when you get into like cultural sustainability, when you get into more like depth beyond like just the greenhouse gas decarbonization sort of conversation, it mm-hmm. gets more grounded. It gets rooted. Like you feel connected. And I think in today's world, so many of us really don't have that connected feeling. Like we're mm. we're feeling disconnected from people because we're constantly on screens. We're feeling disconnected to ourselves because we're not using our hands in in tactile ways enough. And so I think like if we allow that into the narrative, it would be beneficial in so many ways beyond just simply trying to address fashion's messes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing to add to that because what you've just said is is spot on. And I don't I just think it feels different. It's like when you go to an event and the it just feels different when it's done in this connected way. And and it's and it's that idea of when something is discovered and then it's bottled and scaled up the raw essence of it is really hard to keep as it is when it's it's kind of a small almost insiders it's like when the, your favorite band is discovered or your favorite artist is discovered you're like oh it changes your relationship with it slightly but you're happy that more people are getting access mm-hmm. to this great thing and sometimes i think with sustainability like we these great movements or these great p- things that have happened in the past are discovered and then they are packaged and scaled up and in the packaging and scaling up the essence and spirit and just pureness of intentionality is lost. And, and it's almost an inevitable consequence of scaling something up. It's like a black owned hair brand being kind of a, a discovered secret. And then, you know, suddenly Walmart or whoever, like they want to distribute it. And the ingredients start to change as kind of, and this isn't such a relevant example, but the ingredients start to change as they're trying to appeal to different demographics. And then it becomes less focused on just that niche that it had at the beginning. And I think a lot of the time that seems to happen with sustainability, that it scales up, it almost dilutes, the ingredients Mm. get switched out a bit. And I think that's because the scaling up is not always being managed by the people that planted the seed, you know? Mm. So that's an easier thing to happen. But yeah, so that challenges how easy it is to connect with it. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. This is such an amazing conversation. Um, I love but- speaking to you. <laughs> Likewise, I was just thinking I want to like bring it back around a little bit to the mm. Oscars just yes. to like acknowledge that. Yeah. So I know that the Academy has been like, I guess, undergoing like different shifts when it comes to reducing impact. I know that they have been doing things for mm. quite a while, but maybe a lot of us haven't had this mm. access to the knowledge or access to the information. Yeah. So I guess having an official partnership with them and now like having something like your sustainable dress code circulated to mm. all attendees at the Oscars, like this is really huge. And I guess With all of that context, I'm really curious to hear what you think that quote unquote sustainability at Mm. the Oscars really means. Yeah, it's a good question. So starting off from from the get-go, our relationship with the Academy um, was always red carpet green dress at the Oscars. So our 
introduction to them was Susie going to the Oscars, our founder Susie going to the Oscars with her husband and, and promoting that dialogue. And then we got into conversation with them and said, this should be something that happens every year. There's This is a conversation that should be happening there. And they embraced it. Absolutely. Let's get on board with that. So I think our focus was always on that initiative. You know, how do we make sure that sustainable design and sustainable fashion has a space on that red carpet? And and, and just explore the different themes, like every year have a different theme, different designers, different collaborators, push different messages and show that there are loads of ways to participate. So I wasn't actually aware because of that focus. I wasn't aware about, you know, the Academy's sustainability effort. It's something I've become more aware of in the past few years and working closely with their sustainability team and the executive vice president, Janelle English, who is a friend and a complete warrior. Now I know more about what they're doing. And, and even just from the event perspective, because I think the Academy Awards itself or the Academy do things throughout the year, but the awards is one of their you know flagship events. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, things I know they've been doing range from investing in developing a really diverse pool of production talent through Oscars apprenticeships specifically for the awards I'm just speaking about here, engaging with women-owned businesses or minority-owned businesses for their suppliers and vendors for the awards, making sure that they do land acknowledgements throughout the entire season, and even introducing their Indigenous alliance, ensuring that there's ASL interpretation, continuing to integrate accessibility to the event, the pre-show, through wheelchair ramps and so on, even introducing I think it's over 70% plant-based menu at the governor's ball and then doing things like accessible restrooms or gender restrooms. So these are just some of the things that they've done for the event itself. And I always say like, I'll go to sustainable fashion events and it's like, I don't have that kind of checklist for that. So I think there's stuff that we can learn from what they've done with the award show. And then even the fact that the show producers last year, they were both a black man and a black woman. So it's interesting to me because a lot of the time we don't necessarily know what's happening with these really kind of big household names. Um, we don't know about the small initiatives that they do, you know, to kind of reduce impact. We don't know about their lead certification or like plastic free production environments at their events or discontinuing sending out physical DVD, CV, CDs and screenplays to reduce that like climate impact. We don't know about those things, but it doesn't mean that they're not happening. So it's been really fun for me just understanding like their footprint assessments, their business audits, how they select their partners and the people that they work with. That's been eye-opening and it's something that makes me feel happy to know is happening behind the scenes, even if it's not hugely advertised. And to know that we can be part of amplifying what they are doing on the red carpet as well, you know, so... It's a nice thing to be part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love when like, so I think a lot of entities or organizations or companies have had like the quote unquote fear of communicating about what they're doing behind the scenes at different mm -hmm. stages throughout over the years because like there's backlash or maybe just sometimes organizations don't want to tout certain things. They just mm. do their thing. You know, yeah. there's kind of different approaches. But I love when you, you start like peeling back the layers of something that's quite large that you had no idea had these initiatives and these yeah. different layers going on in their work that is really meaningful. I love mm. seeing that because we always are so quick to judge. I think we're so mm. quick, especially in the sustainability narrative. It's like in this conversation, it's like someone says something, oh, like everyone's going to come in and t tell you why it's wrong or like yeah. see their opinion or how it's not enough. And 
I know it's not enough. Like there's so much more that we all need to be doing. But I guess like I love celebrating some of the wins because I think if we don't, like how do we honestly keep going? Yeah, I I agree. And I think there's room for all of it. I think there's room for the almost heart-rendering, like anxiety-inducing it is, realities of, okay, these are some of the challenges. Like no one's trying to put a bubble around things and say it's perfect. But I think ultimately what tends to motivate some of the greatest leaders of our time is hope. Every Everything I've ever read about people I admire or look up to or think like from Wangari Matai to, you know, your Michelle Obama to like just anybody that you you could even just think of that inspires you in any way. The common thread is always like hope. Something has got them out of bed to wish for something better than is currently in existence. So mm-hmm. that's all we're saying that there has to be that thing. There has to be that thing because that's what it takes to sustain something. Like anybody that's got something like a child or a baby or, you know, what keeps you going through the night or what, like what keeps you burning that midnight oil is something to hope for. You're hoping something different will happen if you do what you need to do. So all we're trying to do is identify that there is a hope and, and what we need is to see like the dominoes falling in our direction. And, and that's mm-hmm. where spotlighting the things that are working or things that are positive matters. Because now somebody who's planning a sustainability event might be looking at that checklist and say, okay, like we need to focus. We need to make sure that we have, like we're introducing ASL. Are we, are we doing those things? Like, do we have, how are people who are in wheelchairs accessing this? Like now through that checklist, people might start thinking differently about the way they deliver something Mm -hmm. because they've been given a tangible example. Like that's all it is. No one's acting like we're in Narnia, you know, or that we're in this perfect bubble, but we're just acknowledging that there's a chance to do things differently because it's being done differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I love how you say like there's room for all of it because there is mm-hmm. like we need just like we need like different narratives to reach different folks. Like we need different ways of responding to the narratives to kind of propel us forward in different ways. Well, I'm really excited to see what the talent is wearing on the red carpet on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I know that you can't like really tell us right now what they're going to be wearing, but can you share a little bit as far as who you'll be dressing? Yes. So we always try and, and straddle emerging and established because we feel that that's important to give people the chance to go to the awards and have their moment that are more beginning in their career or maybe just less known. And then we have our established. So I can share the emerging. So we're working with Bailey Bass, who is in Avatar The Way of Water, incredible talent and a close friend of our founder, Susie Amos Cameron, through just being around her for the years on production set for Avatar. And Susie recognized that Bailey actually has an interest in sustainability. She actually has her own sustainable jewelry line called um, Bebe. So she's in this already and she's so informed. And then we have Chloe East, who is in the Fablemans. And she's, again, an amazing talent that has a genuine interest in her own voice that she's trying to use as she comes out into herself in this big nominated movie and both of them are in nominated movies so it's a really good time for them to be there they deserve to be there so um that's kind of those are our ambassadors that we're that Susie and I are really proud of and then we have someone established but we're not able to to share that (laughs) (laughs) yeah stay tuned (laughs) yes well Samata this has been such an amazing conversation as per usual I want to ask you one more thing that I always have asked you in past shows 
and that has to do with our individual impact. I'm somebody who is very much in favor of many layers of transformation and that we need like many approaches and many stakeholders. But I also like to think about it on an individual level just so we can basically get engaged. So what yeah. are your thoughts on you know how we can bring small changes into our everyday lives to influence a better future for fashion? Mm. I think it's conversations that are focused on shifting mindsets I mean and also shifting our own mindset in a way I keep using this phrase generative conversations of late because I I recently learned that generative conversations are conversations that are designed not just for you to listen and respond but for you to listen with the open intentional possibility that you might change your understanding. And I don't think that everyone joins conversations for that reason. Mm. Sometimes we have dialogue because we want to say what we know and we want people to understand that we know what we're saying. But that's very different to going into a conversation with the intention and awareness that I might come out of this conversation with a different perspective and I am not so anchored to what I believe and know that I'm willing to do that. And that's what I think creates a mind shift, not just for you as the sustainability advocate that knows everything, but also for you as an individual that's trying to grow in a world and community with others. So I think that approach to conversations is huge because those could be conversations with policymakers, with fellow parents, with educators, with talent. Those are conversations across the board, but it's just the intention of it being slightly different. Hmm. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. I think that's something that could be helpful in just basic life as well for all of us yeah. to think about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Samata, wow. It's just always such a joy to share space with you and chat and get into multiple layers of this conversation. Thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy award season to give us a little insight as to what you're working on. Thank you for having me and for taking time and congratulations on breaking such a great threshold with your shows. You've always been pioneering in this. Um, you've always just been somebody I have known in this space. It's always been so hospitable and kind and inclusive in making sure everyone's voice is heard. And I love what you've always done and all the partnerships you've done, even with Dom and that whole series that you guys did together. So it's just lovely to be talking to you again. Thanks so much, y'all, for tuning in. If you get a chance, drop us a review on iTunes or Spotify or become a subscriber at ConsciousChatter.com to help support the show. I am so grateful for you. A big thanks goes out to our editor, Scott Donnell. Cheers to all you changemakers out there. Thanks for listening.